And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. In the perspective of some, particularly those in the abortion industry, they would say, well, during the course of the last 44-something years, um, up to 58 million children have been aborted as women have exercised their constitutional right to choose. I mean, after all, it's choice. Um, It's a private decision, according to the interpretation of the Constitution. And so why all of this talk? Why all of this noise? Well, it's a valid question. Why? Uh, Beyond the obvious answer that 58 million fewer people have been born in the United States because of abortion, But beyond that, there's the untold carnage on the lives that remain behind. Think of it. Every aborted baby has a mommy and a daddy, grandparents, in some cases perhaps siblings, brothers and sisters. Much of the human toll from an emotional standpoint never gets accounted for. And ultimately, in the process of exercising her constitutional right to choose, as the Supreme Court told us in 1973, it is often the woman, and sometimes the man, but for the majority of cases, the woman, who has to bear the spiritual and emotional brunt of abortion. Joining me tonight in studio is Sharon Landis. Sharon is the founder and executive director of Healing Tears, a ministry of compassion that specifically focuses on post-abortive women and men. And Sharon, is always great to have you with us. Thank you, Craig. I'm happy to be here. Why is this an issue that we don't hear much about? I mean, I would imagine there's got to be at some level an acknowledgement, well, this is not just fetal tissue. This is actually a life that has been terminated. And as such, feelings of, did I make the right decision? What have I done? Why have I done it? A child that will never be known, a brother or sister that will never be introduced to other brothers and sisters. There must be some very deep-seated feelings that women deal with that they're told essentially by the abortion industry, just kind of ignore it, you'll get over it, stuff all that down, because after all, you're just exercising your right to choose. It just isn't talked about anymore. When I first started in this ministry back in 1987, even up to 2000, churches would talk more about it. They would talk about it. People would talk about it, and women would come forward and say how terrible they feel. But I think since in the last 10 years, at least, maybe 12, it's just kind of gone underground. Hmm. And I don't find very many churches ever bringing up this word in a sermon or ever, and it's really not talked. You don't find any articles on it in magazines. Back in the 1990s, there were some articles in magazine about women who'd been healed from their abortions, but that that all ended. I mean, it just got stopped. So it's just not acceptable, not politically correct. Whatever it is, it's not talked about. So if a woman is having those feelings of great sorrow, I mean, she can't tell anybody. She's afraid to. She doesn't know who to tell. I mean, she might confide in her best friend, but the best friend really doesn't know unless she's had something similar. So, But I find most women don't tell anyone. They stuff it down and keep it secret, but it does take a toll in their life. And I would imagine that it's got to, Sharon, because in spite of the fact that there are clear-cut efforts of either you know the crimes of commission or omission, omission perhaps by the church and not addressing this issue more effectively, commission by those in the abortion industry that intentionally wish to dismiss the emotional toll of abortion, uh, largely for financial reasons, and yet... Women have to know, I'm having these feelings, and yet no one wishes to validate my feelings, but the lack of validation by family, by the church, by society doesn't make those feelings of guilt or shame or confusion or wondering, it doesn't make those feelings go away, does it? No, they just get deeper buried, deeper buried. If if a woman can talk about her abortion to her family, the more people that know about it, the, the easier it will be on her. But for most of the women I see... They haven't told anyone. And the deeper they, Zero. <laughs> the deeper they bury this, while it might help them at some levels to function, does it not end up having a ripple effect on almost every aspect of life, meaning relationships, trust factors with men, with God, um, 
feelings of shame and guilt, all of that would seem to me would be like tentacles that would just reach in and have uh, take its emotional toll on almost every aspect of a woman's character and psyche. It does. It affects her whole life. And she may or may not be aware that it is affecting her life. She probably isn't, but it does affect her life because abortion is traumatic. It's a traumatic experience. So if she keeps it stuffed inside of her and never can talk about it, she really has post-traumatic stress disorder. And that can express itself in lots of dysfunctional behavior, lots of self-destructive behavior, um, alcohol, drugs, trust issues, you know, in feeling low Mm self-esteem, lots of ways. Shopping, spending, whatever you do to help you try to feel good. And so if she has no place to talk about it, sometimes when people, um, they hear about the class for the first time and they kind of think, gee, maybe I should, maybe I need that. And then they'll probably dismiss it. Then they hear about it again. Last year we had four women and one woman. She heard about it and she said, maybe I need to go to that class because she'd had several abortions. And then she just forgot about it, but she went back to church the next week and they had it in the bulletin again. And she says, oh, I think I need to call her. So she called me and she said, I think maybe I need to go to your class. But she was so disconnected from her feelings, she didn't even know if the abortions affected her or not. Mm. I mean, she completely had disconnected. And that really becomes a coping mechanism, doesn't it? it is. So in spite of the fact that we try to mentally disconnect from the experience of abortion, the emotional toll on, as we mentioned, trust, relationships, substance abuse. Eating disorders. Whatever all of it, it might be, yeah. it, it all comes to the surface one way or another. And, and I would imagine, Sharon, exacerbated even more so for the post-abortive woman who has perhaps had one or two abortions. Or three or four. Or three or four. Finally meets the right guy, wants to now have children, and suddenly can't. Oh, that's a double grief. Wow. Big time. Because she has the grief of the loss of her children, and now she can't get have children. And then I imagine huge. the relational feelings in terms of trust, especially from a, from a spiritual dynamic. There's got to be that sense of God is now officially punishing me. Lots of women feel that way. Yes. But he's not. <laughs> but they do feel that he is punishing them. They, they punish themselves plenty. They, a lot of women don't have children because they did abort their children, so they don't deserve to have children. So there's a lot of reasons. They, they're very self-punishing. God, God's not going to punish them, but we do punish ourselves mm-hmm. because they, don't, they hate what they did. Many women do. And, of course, the, the, the utter lack of a sense of acknowledgement of those feelings, um, e- even the ability to, to validate the pain is completely stripped away, not only by those within the abortion industry who do so because they have a profit motive, but let's face it, society, and you mentioned some of the church's silence on this, this is not a topic we want to talk about. We want to leave this in the category of, well, it's a woman's right to choose, somehow that that's elevated to a a level that makes it completely not only unquestionable, but unconscionable to think that there will be any um, recourse or, or any side effect of having simply exercised your right to choose? Well, I've worked with more than 350 women, and every woman says that after she had the abortion, it, she, it, what she experienced wasn't what she expected. She never knew going into it she would feel like she did after. Wow. Never. So there is a, 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 a setup of expectations that are not met, And then once those feelings come, any sense of validation of saying, it's okay, it's normal that you should feel this way, and that there is hope and healing available to you, is completely stripped away. Yeah, there's not too many people around to do that. I love to talk to people about this, but then I'm a grief counselor. I do do grief. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's important to talk about it. It's important to talk about any loss or any grief, because if you hold it inside of you, it just keeps... Well, we're short-circuiting a natural human emotion and expression. I mean, we've all known individuals who have lost a loved one, and suddenly the next day they just say, boy, they've sure got it together. She's holding herself together so well. You can hardly tell that she lost her husband of 40 years. And you've got to wonder eventually something that that facade is going to crack and fall apart because it's not normal for us to dismiss 
grief or not to acknowledge loss and goes through that right. pro- that grieving process is a part and parcel well, to the healing process. Isn't it, it is. We're not going to ever know comfort until we mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Mm-hmm. For they shall be comforted. That's why healing tears. If you cry your tears, you will be healed. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, if, it, it if not we, only is it, is if it we logical, give, it's scriptural. Yeah, we need to. I mean, t- talking to women, I try to encourage them to give themselves permission to grieve, to feel the feelings. And, yeah, it's going to be hard, especially if it's been 30 years and you've pushed them all down and you've ran away from them and you don't want to feel them. But if you're willing to... Let them come up and let God comfort you through this process. You'll be free. They'll be gone. And that's the question perhaps lingering on the minds of those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight. That perhaps have been down that road. They to themselves, in their quiet thoughts, acknowledge, yes, I made this decision back when, for whatever reason, or whatever multiple times, Drudge up all of those thoughts and feelings and face this decision head on now after all these years. Can any good come of that? And if you're asking yourself that question right now, we're going to meet a special guest in a moment that's going to help lend some insight to that. Let's take a brief time out. If you've just uh, tuned in a bit late, we're in studio this evening with Sharon Landis. Sharon is the founder and executive director of Healing Tears. And um, we'll get Sharon to tell us a bit more about the ministry coming up later on in the program. I can point you in the direction of their website, which is simple. It's healingtears.org. That's healingtears.org. There's all kinds of resources and classes available, and we'll tell you more about that coming up momentarily. Right now, let's pause for a moment, get you updated on some traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation in studio tonight with Sharon Landis, founder and executive director of Healing Tears, a ministry of compassion related to the issue of post-abortive women and men. Information again on the web at healingtears.org. That's healingtears.org. All right, what of this experience, what of the challenge that millions of women have faced since 1973 in deciding to have an abortion for whatever reason and then going months years, decades, without ever really addressing the feelings, acknowledging the pain, validating the questions that are there. What does that do to a person? We have Monica Guzman in studio with us tonight. Monica, welcome. Thank you. We appreciate you coming in to share your story. Thank you. I know it's not an easy story to tell, but an important one. Tell us a bit about your background and eventually why you felt it necessary to address this issue in your own life. Well, I um, was um, 10 when my mother died, 12 when my father died. And uh, I um, was just uh, out there, you know. I was just out there, and uh, I was lost, I I um, felt like um, when I think back on it, I was more like a um, sheep that had been released to um, wolves, so to say. No know? shepherd. No shepherd. Lost no. your parents at a very young yes. age, and so yes. any sense of of direction to say this is good, this is bad, right. stay away from that. Exactly. That you were really robbed of that, weren't you? Very much so. And um, I um, had um, ended up having uh, two children. I had uh, uh, a son, and two and a half years later, I had my son at 14. Mm. And at two and a half years later, I had uh, my daughter. And um, I just know that I needed, I started hungering and thirsting to know the Lord. I needed God in my life. That's what I I, I, I needed help. And um, I just um, know that God heard my prayer and um, I uh, accepted Christ in my heart. 
1981, and uh, I knew God had um, forgiven me of all my sins. Jesus died that I might have life. I knew it. I accepted it. And then I went on, and it, in 1987, I uh, married my husband, Joe Guzman, and all the time we were courting, there was this unction in me. You need to tell your husband your secret. You need to tell your husband. I, I resisted it. I resisted it, and I refused. I couldn't. I had stuffed that secret so far down in me that um, I didn't tell him before we were married. And um, a few years went by, and here it comes again. You need to tell your husband. You need to tell Joe. Tell him. Now, Joe was aware that you had two children, younger. He was aware that I had two children. Well, yeah, because they were, you know, with, yeah. Part of the family. Yeah. But there, there were some other events in there that you were hiding from him. Yes. And almost hiding, in a sense, Monica, from yourself. Is that fair to say? I did. I couldn't think about it. I stuffed it. I refused. I would fight, fight to not let it come to surface for me to dwell on what I had done. You mentioned to the point of seeking and finding God. Yes. Was there ever any sense that God would reject you if... This is something that you confronted head on. And I know that sounds like a funny question because some people listening saying, well, of course God knows. He's, he's all-knowing and all-seeing. And yet sometimes in the, in the privacy of the decisions that we make and in our sins, we feel as if somehow if we don't think about it and don't address it, maybe somehow God won't know about it because if he knows about it, how could he possibly love us for forgiveness? Did you ever have feelings like that? I had feelings of of shame, mm. of regret, of torment, and I I just know that I had to I had to seek God because I couldn't continue um, in that state and. Um, so I believed once I accepted God, I knew, I, I believed that I was forgiven. And, but I was still full of hurt and pain and shame. And, and did you get the sense the Holy Spirit was prompting you then? Oh, definitely. To come clean, so to speak, with Joe? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, my husband was outside and I was in the house and it was, it, it, here it was again. You have to tell him, I was afraid, but I knew at that point I had to go and tell him. Were you afraid, too, as you've described shame, regret, torment, that revealing that secret to your husband would have a detrimental effect on your relationship? Yes. What would he think of you? Would there be a trust yes. factor that had, would be harmed because of that? Yes. Well, I knew. Well, my my husband's first wife um, passed away, and uh, from cancer, and they had always wanted children, and they couldn't have children. So I knew his story. So because I knew his story. Um, I was ashamed to tell him. I thought he would take it. How, how could you, you know, how could you do this, you know? And God did end up blessing them with uh, um, a, a beautiful daughter after they adopted two beautiful children. But when I told him, I, told, I went outside, I told him, I said, I have a secret. I, ha- I have a confession to tell you. And he said, what is it? And um, I said, I had two abortions. And it was quiet, you know. And um, 
he just put his arms around me and he held me and he comforted me and he spoke words of encouragement to me. He reassured me right then that he loved me. Joe, in that moment, when she first approached you and says, I have a confession, a lot of guys are thinking, uh-oh, she's run up the credit card to the hilt. <laughs> Something of that sort. What was going through your mind when you could see that she was obviously in emotional pain, this was something serious. What was going through your mind? What was your sense of anticipation about what she might say? And what was your initial reaction after she revealed to you her secret? Well, I just know that um, she kept this pain for a long time in her in her heart, you know. And what I felt... I, I actually I felt more love for her because she was so honest and um, and the pain that she's been holding all these years yeah I just felt this um, this love for her uh, this is God's daughter and um, I just needed to love her and understand her and show her grace like God shows us grace he showed me abundance of grace and um, I just I promised the Lord I was going to take care of her through her pain and support her and um, it just gave me more love for my wife just gave me more love for my wife through um, all those years she kept it in and um, I just felt more in love with her. You have a gem over yes. here. You know that, <laughs> yes, don't you? I do. There are women listening right now who are probably fighting back tears, saying, I've had my confession to make that I've held for years and years, and I am literally terrified of saying anything, let alone the sense of God rejecting me, what would my husband say? What would my children say? What would anybody close to me say if they found out this dirty, dark secret from my perspective that I've held down all these years? Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and Craig, I tell you, the thing of it was is that I lied to him. I lied to my husband. The fact was I had three abortions. But I was too ashamed, too ashamed to tell him that. And um, so we went on, you know, a few years went by and I'm at work one day and my coworker, I, I, I'm at work at Shepherd's Gate. I, work for, I was working at Shepherd's Gate and my coworker, Jennifer, comes to me and says, we're gonna have a panel of women coming. Monica to tell their stories, their abortion stories. And um, are you going to come? And I said, I'm going to think about it, you know. Well, right then, I made my mind up. I'm not going. I am not going to that. And this was the next day. I was off. I'm not going. Well, when I woke up, that morning I was I felt this compelling unction in me go I got ready like I was hurrying up to get ready so I wouldn't be late to work and I got there and these wonderful courageous women of God told their stories by the time I heard the last one, I was sobbing. I was boohooing. I could not. I, I couldn't. I was so broken. I went to I, I went to Sharon and I started telling her my story. I told her the truth and I told her and I told her I lied to my husband. And I said, but I got to tell him the truth. 
they prayed for me. They wept with me. They laughed with me. It was just everything I needed. God knew who to put in that room with me. Let me ask you to pause there for a moment, Monica, because when we come back, I want you to share with our listeners how your life has changed since letting this secret out, not only in terms of how you feel and think of yourself, but in terms of your relationship with your husband, with your children, and with your God. We're going to pause on that point. We'll take a very brief time out. I don't want you to touch the radio dial. You are forbidden. (laughs) We'll be back with more of our conversation. Monica Guzman in studio tonight, along with Sharon Landis, the founder and executive director of Healing Tears. Information again about this ministry and how it can help you on the web at healingtears.org. We'll take a very brief time out and back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back. Craig Roberts, Sharon Landis, and Monica Guzman sharing her story. Monica, let's pick things up where we left off. You talked about the tremendous relief, not just in the first revelation to Joe of two of the three abortions, but eventually coming to him again and saying, I I manipulated the truth a bit again. It's actually more than that. Finally, now, there's this breakthrough. You suggested it was like having 100 pounds of weight lifted off of your shoulders. How has coming to terms with the decision to abort, the loss of the children, the grieving, the mourning, the acknowledgement of the loss, the discovering of the forgiveness, not just from God, the grace extended to you by your dear husband, but then eventually to be able to realize that in through all of this is God orchestrating what it's like to experience his forgiveness. How has that experience now impacted your relationship with Joe, your relationship with your children, your relationship with God, and, and ultimately how you see yourself? Well, as far as my relationship with my husband, my husband is my hero. Jesus is my savior, but my husband is my hero. Because God gave me someone who was gentle, kind, patient, loving, humorous, and um, sensitive. Because sensitivity was definitely definitely what I needed when I couldn't take no more from writing down the truth of what I had done. And I would just cry. He would come in the kitchen and he would hug me and hold me. And sometimes he'd cry with me until I'd let him know, okay, I'm all right now. And i go back to writing. So my husband is my hero, and I know now God put him into my life because of the, the, the pain and the hurt that he has suffered. God prepared him to be a major support for me. He prepared him. Yes, I went through cancer twice. He took care of me. I feel like I am the most blessed woman in the world. I should mention for ladies listening, she keeps Joe in a cage at night on a very short <laughs> leash, not available because there's thousands of women saying, does he have a brother? <laughs> no, my husband, through all those emotions, the anger and stuff, when Sometimes I would snap, you know, I was angry. And if he didn't just back off and and just... Pour some oil in the water. Yes. <laughs> just leave me in God's hands, you know. If he didn't do that, that, the enemy would have... We may not even be sitting here right now. That's why I know God specifically prepared and equipped him to be my 
um, support. And see, guys, when you're a godly man, yes, you will become a hero to your wife. You should aspire to be a godly man. So instead of your wife saying, I can't wait to kick the bum out of the house, your wife is saying, Jesus is my Savior, God in heaven is my Lord, but my husband is my hero. Guys, are you listening? Are you listening? Mm -hmm. Say a word to women listening right now who are today where you were, who are filled with, and I'm quoting you, shame, regret, and torment, who are terrified of anybody finding out, who can't possibly imagine having a conversation with God about this, let alone a husband or an offspring, and are in that prison where you were, and they're terrified to come out. Talk specifically to that woman, would you? I know you're feeling desperate. You're in a desperate place. But God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die and shed his innocent blood that whosoever believes in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. He has forgiven you. Now, the Lord wants you to know it is time to forgive yourself. You are free. Be set free from that prison of shame and guilt and and torment and stress that just comes and hits you over the head anytime it wants to. You don't have to take it no more. You don't have to take it no more. God loves you. Your babies, our babies, are with the Lord in heaven. And even women who have had miscarriages, those babies are with the Lord in heaven. You didn't do anything wrong. It, it, when you have miscarriages, it's, it, that's Those things happen. You didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing for you to feel guilty about either. It's time to forgive yourselves and be free and tell your story. And I would like to say to any men out there, husbands, (sighs) be men. And let the truth come out. And when she finishes, don't question her. Don't use, give any negative body language. Don't look wrong. You hold her and you thank her for trusting you with her story. And then from that point, you love her unconditionally, just the way God loves us, just the way God loves you unconditionally. Sharon, there are a lot of women listening right now that are perhaps overwhelmed by Monica and Joe's story. And they say, I don't know where to start. I need somebody to help walk me through this. Talk to us a bit about Healing Tears Ministry and what women, what post-abortive women can find in terms of hope and healing. We, We offer a Bible study that takes you through the grieving process step by step just and and but before you do that we'll just meet with you and talk to you and see if you're ready just just sit and talk tell your story see if you're ready to do this if this is a good time i I encourage you to give yourself permission to grieve because the healing from abortion involves grieving 
you have to grieve your loss and be honest with yourself and honest with God. God already knows, but you just have to come clean with him. And he he's he'll walk you through it. You don't have to go through it by yourself. You don't have you went through the abortion alone. You don't have to go through the healing alone. You have Amen. comfort, you have support, and we're there to support you. So we have we have a class starting next month in Castro Valley and there are other places that some have have groups that can do the similar thing. But yeah, I just encourage any woman who's had an abortion to call us, to look at the website, to send me an email just to say I'd like to find out more about the healing because it does take it's not something that you can do in one session it does take a few months to go through this because and for a lot of these women they have been stuffing this down for a few years if not decades right and it's the anger that you have inside of you that keeps you from forgiving yourself it's the pain that you've never let out so that even though you even believe in your head that god does forgive you because he does he forgives all our sins but to get that from your head to your heart takes means you have to process those emotions. And for the men listening right now who might think, there's a disconnect with my wife. There is a reaction to circumstances that just doesn't seem to work logically. Meaning that there's almost as if a, a well of resentment or anger is drawn from. And you've never been able to figure out why. Maybe now a light has gone on. Maybe you need to broach the subject. Maybe you need to let your wife know it's okay to talk and be open. Create a safe place for her, as Monica described. What about husbands and wives who've had an abortion? They need to both Mm. grieve it and talk. I remember a pastor saying to a friend of mine who they had, had aborted their child, and they never dealt with it for 15 years, never talked about it. And usually once you have an abortion with your husband, you never talk about it, ever. 20 years later, we've never talked about it. You need to talk about it. You need to let these feelings come to the surface. I mean, abortion affects the fathers just as much as the mothers, but they don't. They acknowledge it even less. I mean, they... they they, most of them didn't go through the procedure, even though some do watch it, but it affects them. And in addition to that conversation taking place, um, pastors, if you're listening, 58 million children aborted in America since 1973. I won't talk about this from the pulpit because it's controversial, embarrassing, awkward, difficult, hurtful, painful nonsense it's time that you come to terms with what it is that you're trying to hide or avoid and quit denying the men and women in your congregation the opportunity to experience the totality of forgiveness in Jesus Christ because you're too afraid that it might be construed as politically incorrect to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, to talk about the grief, to acknowledge the pain, the anger, the anxiety, the self-loathing, the shame, the torment, as Monica described it. You are robbing your parishioners of the ability to find healing. My beef is not with you and your beef is not with me. I suggest you have a conversation with God about it. And ask yourself the question, when is the last time you got up from the pulpit and shared all of the good news? Mm -hmm. That includes post-abortive men and women. Again, information available on the web at HealingTears.org. That's HealingTears.org. I'd like to thank Sharon Landis, the founder and executive director of Healing Tears, for being with us today. And Monica Guzman and your husband, Joe, for sharing your story tonight. I'll mention for listeners that want to repeat some of what you've heard or you know someone that is today where Monica was. And you say, oh, I've got to get this information into their hands. They have to hear Monica's story. 
The podcast of tonight's broadcast will be available tonight about 7.15, and you can go to kfax.com, download that podcast, send a link to someone who needs to hear this story. We want to get this message out to as many post-abortive men and women as we possibly can. So again, we encourage you to get a copy of the podcast and to get more information about the Ministry of Healing Tears on the web at healingtears.org. And now back to Lifeline with A recent survey conducted by Thomson Reuters of working professional women across the country discovered three top concerns shared by most working women. Concerns over the glass ceiling, equal pay, and work-life balance. Perhaps to that list we could add things like the challenge of building a support network and fear of failure in a male-dominated business world. After all, the men seem to have the good old boys network. How come the ladies don't have a good old girls network? Well, with some insights and answers to this question, we're joined now by a very special guest, Lisa Lambert. Lisa is managing partner with the Wesley Group. Prior to that, she served as vice president at Intel Capital, and she's the founder of Upward, uniting professional women, accelerating relationships and development. Lisa, great to have some time with you today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the discussion. What do you think about that list? Uh, Reuters determining that a lot of professional women today are not only met with challenges of the glass ceiling, equal pay, work-life balance, but then, too, this challenge of the fear of failure in a male-dominated world and the challenge of building a support network. I think it's absolutely right. In fact, that was the basis of the conception of the idea for Upward. I started it in 2013 for that very reason. Uh, not only the Reuters study, but McKinsey and others have done studies that show that women are disadvantaged in all of those aspects. But one of the biggest ones is the lack of access to informal networks. And so in informal networks, you get access to mentors and sponsors, and you yourself just become more visible because you're connecting with the people that are decision makers, and you're building rapport and building relationship, and all that matters when a job opportunity comes up and the decision maker has to choose, they're going to choose the person they have the rapport with, the relationship they've gotten to know, and they're not going to choose the person that they haven't. And if women are excluded from those uh, informal networks, then they're going to be disadvantaged. So it is absolutely true. And that's the genesis of Upward, uh, the idea around having a global networking organization for executive women. And it's part of the goal here, too, Lisa, to kind of, I guess, face reality head on. And I ask that question because typically in perhaps a somewhat of a prejudicial fashion, um, society will say, well, if women want to advance today, they have to do it through education, hard work, sacrifice, putting their nose to the grindstone, things of that sort. And yet when we see men succeed, we'll oftentimes say, well, he's just taking advantage of the good old boy network. Is this in part recognizing the value that it's, yes, all about hard work and sacrifice and dedication, but then, too, about the value of networking and relationships? Absolutely. I mean, you, you need to perform. I mean, that's the baseline. I mean, the very minimum, you need to perform. And I think women are, are very effective at that. I mean, they're heads down in their work group doing their job, and they do that consistently. Women have lots of other responsibilities and duties that they take very seriously, like you know, being a, a wife, being a mother, and being involved in the lives uh, that entail being a wife and a mother, you know, and so women do care about that, and so they really do focus their time on being effective at their job, and often the networking piece gets jettisoned. It gets put aside, set on the side burner, because you just don't have the free time. And I think what a lot of women are beginning to realize and was the epiphany moment for me when I started Upward is that that's something you can't put on the side. You have to be involved in the informal networks and formal networks that make you visible, that make you relevant, that tell people your story. Because really, you know, it comes down to it. The people that care about your career most are you and your mother, you know, and not, <laughs> and not the folks that are around you that you may be competing with for jobs. So you have to be involved. You have to be engaged. 
And I think for women, it's, it's more of a challenge. Uh, I think that the network is the lifeblood of a career. And if you're not spending half of your time on networking, building relationships, making yourself visible, telling people your story, and telling them what you want in terms of your career, then you're not going to have much of a career. And I think that's a, an area that women, we all need to work on, which is why I started Upward. And on the Upward website, and folks can get more information there by going to upwardwomen.org. That's upwardwomen.org. You kind of summarize it in, in three tiers. Meet up, build up, and move up. Help us better understand how those goals all fit into what women can expect to experience when they go to an Upward event. Yeah, so meetups are really the formats that we have for our programs. What Upward does uh, primarily, and this is how we were started, was bringing together executive women. We have nearly 4,000 executive women members across the globe. We actually have seven chapters. The Bay Area chapter is our largest, but we're expanding to new geographies, domestic and international, for folks for purposes of bringing a larger community together. The more vibrant and large the community is, the more you can leverage it to help advance your career. And so the meetups are a physical way for us to engage, right? We do topical discussions, we do workshops, we do seminars and clinics. Uh, it's a way for members in a locale, you know, whether it's the Bay Area chapter or the New York chapter or the Chicago chapter, to come together with expert speakers to learn something important and to network. And every one of our uh, venues, our events, we always have a full hour of networking before and after because that is a big part of building your, you know, extending your reach and building a broad portfolio of people that you can tap um, as you need them in your career. And toward that that, end, the Bay Area chapter, I understand, Lisa, will be having its third annual Upward Dinner event that will be coming to the San Jose Fairmont Hotel on Thursday, February the 9th. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so this is our annual uh, dinner. We do each year a big event, which in, which includes all of our upward members. We certainly invite all of our upward members. And it's the one opportunity where the different chapters and the different locations can all come together, uh, meet one another, really get inspired by our speakers. We've had some amazing speakers in the past. Carol Bartz uh, was a speaker for our first inaugural event. Uh, she was CEO of Autodesk and Yahoo. Uh, Sally Krawcheck was a speaker for us. She was former CEO of a number of large investment banks, uh, Wall Street career. And this year we have a panel of great speakers, CEOs, entrepreneurs that are going to be speaking at our event. Uh, something we've never done before. We generally have, uh, you know, a big corporate speaker who's been CEO of a large publicly traded company, but this year we've got Julie Hartz, who's the founder and CEO of Eventbrite, Britt Moran, who's the founder and CEO of Britain Co., and Miriam Nafasi, who's the founder and CEO of Mintit. So all very accomplished people, all have been on the most powerful women's Forbes list, and uh, they're going to come and speak to our members, uh, get them motivated, get them inspired. You know, how do you build a billion-dollar market cap company? That's what these women have done, and that's what we're going to be talking about at the event. So a big part of the evening sounds like connecting and mentoring and toward that uh, toward that degree for those eavesdropping on our conversation that say, you know, Lisa, this sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Is this dinner coming up on Thursday, February the 9th, open to the public? And if so, what can folks do to order tickets? Yeah, so the membership for Upward, and it is required that you be an Upward member before you attend our event. Uh, but the profile for the members are you have to be a director level, VP level, or C-level uh, woman executive. So that is a bit of a limited demographic, uh, but we did it for a reason. Uh, what we find, if you just look at the U.S., women do enter the workforce at large numbers. Uh, you know, S&P 500 companies, Fortune 500 companies, generally somewhere between 45 and 50% of the professional workforce at that entry level are women. Uh, we're graduating at more uh, higher levels at each level of degree from the associate all the way up to a doctorate. But what happens is once they get into the workforce, they don't make it to the top for some of the reasons that we talked about earlier, you know, lack of informal networks, lack of sponsors, lack of mentors. And so I specifically targeted the senior executive uh, demographic for the reason of getting more women in those senior positions and the CEO positions and the board positions so that we have more influence. Um, and more ability to bring up women behind us. So that does limit the scope a bit. So if you are in that demographic, you're an executive woman uh, working in the professional world, 
not just uh, tech startups uh, or, or large companies, but professionals like attorneys and financiers, uh, et cetera, consultants, are all qualified. So that's really the only restriction. Uh, we've sold 550 uh, tickets so far. Uh, we have capacity for 600-ish, 600, 620. So we have a little bit more room in the next two and a half weeks um, if there's somebody that fits that demographic and would be interested in joining us. And, of course, a great opportunity to get more details about this upcoming third annual Upward Dinner event coming to the San Jose Fairmont Hotel Thursday, February the 9th. As Lisa mentioned, you do need to be a member to participate. And to find out more about Upward and how to become a member, simply go to upwardwomen.org. That's upwardwomen.org. And, of course, in addition to this event, your website, I understand, Lisa, has got a whole plethora of great resources, information about the history of Upward, and a look at many of the resources and opportunities for women, not in this chapter, but across the country, and as it grows globally, to meet up, build up, and move up. That's exactly right. It's a great place to go because we actually videography, videotape all of our events. Um, I write blog posts on all of our events. And so there's lots and lots of content available on the website for you to get a feel for what it's like to be at an Upward event. And we've also launched this year an online platform. So it's, it's a way of getting the Upward members in an online community, you know, much like you see with LinkedIn, for example, but specifically for our members. So it's a way to connect when we're not at a physical forum where we can actually uh, network. We can actually network online. And that's a big part of our launch on February 9th as well. We're enrolling more of our members into the online community called Who Knows for the Upward membership. So there's lots of information you can find. We have a YouTube channel. We have lots of social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, etc., um, so you can find out information to join us for this event while their tickets remain, and if not this event, for a future event in the Bay Area or other locales. And again, to get more information, simply log on today to upwardwomen.org. That's upwardwomen.org. And our thanks to founder Lisa Lambert for being with us. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.